Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Movie Chumps, episode 15. Superman the movie and Batman. Let's get after it. Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El, because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he sent us his only son. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. It's Movie Chumps Double Feature, the Christopher Reeves Superman and 1989's Batman with Michael Keaton. That sentence, Corey, it's probably going to piss off Jack Nicholson because supposedly one of his demands was getting top billing. But since he's a Lakers fan, I'm a Celtics fan, we're going with Keaton for top billing here. Yes, it was one of his demands was to have top billing. He actually um, usually had a... um, demand per movie of 10 million he dropped that down to 6 million and demanded a couple different things actually one of the things he demanded was that a certain percentage of the gross which is i mean lots of people do that you know the points which they said ended up being around that his take ended up being about 50 million dollars um the other thing that he had was that he could only shoot shoot during certain days and stuff because it was around the lakers schedule um yeah it was it was it was he was kind of very, I don't want to say demanding, but there was a set order in his contract that he had to do X, Y, Z, and then he was done for the day. Hey, I'm Luke Mayo. That's Corey Cook. He's present. He's in Henrietta. Hello. We're in the People's Hello, Republic Kirk. of Irondequoit recording once again on Zoom, staying safe in this era of COVID-19. The uh, phases are expanding. We're in phase three. We're heading towards phase four. Next got uh, a week haircut. from today, hopefully, or a week from this Friday, yes. hopefully. Is it really? Oh, thank God. would be great because, damn, I want to go see a movie. I, I can't wait, out, man. I'm know. getting jacked. Top Gun coming up soon. You, Bond. Bond. And you, I understand it, just watched Inception for the first time. Yes. Is that correct? The funny, the ironic thing is, is I've tried watching it twice before, but like, this uh-huh. is ironic. I fell asleep. Into a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's, it was like right during the last time I tried watching it, it was, uh, you know, it's one of those things. A lot of times I'll tell people I've seen it just because I don't want like the 15 minute. Oh my God. You got to see, see this. Man. So I'll just go. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was really good just because I don't want to, I'm, I'm not somebody that, that likes to lie, but sometimes right. you just got to, sometimes you can just tell you got to read the room. I don't want to hear it, man. Right. Yeah, just don't attack me. Right. So I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. But no, it was, it was last time I tried watching it was during, uh, I was working overnights at the time mm-hmm. and it was like during one of the holidays and, uh, a nephew of mine brought it up and he was all jacked up about, it. I couldn't stay awake. I had nothing to do with the movie. It was all about my work schedule. So, okay. but no, that was, that was it? fantastic. I loved Great, it. Right. I, I thought it was terrific. I mean, I knew, the bad thing too. is I knew how it ended because I'd seen yeah. that like parodied a lot before. 
Mm -hmm. um, it's been kind of like a meme. Wait, real quick before we go, I, I love getting off topic with uh, with you on this stuff. Did, oh, is this the is notion the first that like four hour podcast, by the way, <laughs> is, yeah, no, we could go we, on for a while. Yeah, maybe, maybe we don't no, go down this. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, no, wait. We'll see real, what you got to say. We'll, we'll keep it quick. Uh, so is the sense that the top was going to stop? It's kind of hard to tell. See, that's the thing. I mean, that, that's kind of the open interpretation uh, of that. You know, it's almost like a choose your own adventure, the lady, the tiger thing. Right. I always felt that it was going to fall because he actually saw his kids' faces for one, but also because of the fact that you could start to see it teeter just a little that's bit just before thought. it cuts to black, whereas before it's like that continuous spin, 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 spins thing. But that's a movie we could do. And we're optimists, you and I, I so it. we want to think yes. that really happened. Yes, we want to think Dom went back to his kids and everything was hokey-dory. But no, we want to, I want to get back on track here because I'll, I'll go on and on about that. Uh, yep. But hey, look, these movies, Batman and Superman must have been like dessert this week after that crap oh. fest i made you watch the week before <laughs> southern comfort crap fest we got a good discussion <laughs> any any movie that we get a good discussion and a good vibe on and a good past a podcast on i'm fine for because let's be honest eventually we're going to get to some stinkers we have to discuss here too uh, oh absolutely absolutely i do i do want to make um you know it's it's just like any uh follow-up newspaper thing that has to print some attractions i did listening to the podcast which i do i did make two mistakes last week i said uh farva from police academy what i meant to say was farva from super troopers and the other thing was the no, that's actually what i what i thought you meant and i my yeah. brain must have made the yeah. logical leap and the other thing i wanted to say was that and it actually kind of leads into little five questions maybe too is uh, that i said that the documentary was called the death of uh superman returns what happened it's actually the death of superman lives what happened because superman returns was in fact a movie that came out in 2006 for Brent. yeah i appreciate your uh your new york times-esque like make well they'll make a huge mistake and then there's just like this little yeah you know five word apology thing on like page 7a my, yeah. font, my font size is huge to this so i like that i like the honesty take that way, whatever you want to take <laughs> uh all right five questions my turn this week if i'm not mistaken Let's do it all right question number one Rank your favorite Batman actors from best to worst, including Adam West. Okay, so I got to go number one for me is Christian Bale. Yeah. Uh, number two is going to be Keaton. Number three is Affleck. Number four is Adam West. Number five is Val Kilmer. And number six is George Clooney. Woo! Stellar, sir. All right, number question two. Which actor is more associated with just one role? You can call it typecasting, whatever. Christopher Reeve or Mark Hamill, in your opinion? That's a good one. Um, and it's know, the end of the pod. I've stumped him. Yeah, right. So here, I'm going to say Christopher Reeve, and here's why. Because, yes, Mark Hamill is associated with Luke Skywalker. However, the other thing, ironically, he's most associated with is voicing the Joker from the Batman animated series. Yes. So um, the um, – uh, the the series of video games that have come out over the uh, Arkham Arkham games have come over the last ten to fifteen years. So I mean, they, obviously they've both been in other things, but I think if I was pegging like one, it was associated with the most. I would say Christopher Reeve with Superman. I'm with you on that one. I had a feeling you were going to go that route. I think that's the that makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. Question three. Question three. What's the better first date? Flying around the Big Apple, a la Superman and. Margot, magic carpet ride, kind of seeing the whole world. 
I'm sorry, you cut out a little there. So you said the Superman Margot Kidder action from Superman the movie or the magic carpet ride from Aladdin. Is that what you said? Correct, sir. Okay, I would um I would go on the magic carpet ride. Uh, because I actually think that the animated version of Jasmine is way hotter than the real life version of Margot Kidder. So, and I would, <laughs> I would rather be on a flying magic carpet going around the Arabian desert. Question four: The Joker makes a mess out of that art museum in Batman. Yep. What's an overrated piece of art that you, Corey Cook, would like to destroy? And you can't say statues of Confederate generals. That's the easy <laughs> cop out. Destroy, you know. I, hey, man, I'm not. A, I'm not a. I don't. I'm not a get rid of art type of. Destroy yeah, maybe not destroy. That's that's a little yeah, powerful. I apologize. On, you know which uh, which piece of art, Mona Lisa, <clears throat> overrated. Um, I no. was thinking that. <laughs> it is. I can't of, pick that is. one up. Yeah, you I, can I go ahead. Is, you can pick that one. I I I never saw really the big deal. I always thought it was supremely overrated. I I yeah. I gotta go with the Mona Mona Lisa. Having said that, I'm not an art aficionado. You know, you're not going to hear me sitting, you know, for hours waxing poetic about Monet. <laughs> That's just not my thing. I so figured. I'm not the, the, big, the biggest specialist in this category, for sure. Understandably so. Uh, question five, the final one. You are tapped to play a superhero during the 1980s, meaning this is back in the 1980s. Uh, okay. Which actress from the 80s are you picking for your love interest? Ooh. Well, I uh, off the top of my head, um, it's from the eighties. I know, thinking right? <laughs> maybe Heather Locklear. Oh, okay. Possibly, uh, yeah. Possibly, possibly maybe uh, Demi Moore or maybe Sean Young. Oh, Sean Young. Mm -hmm. I like. Um, almost, almost played Vicky Vale, by the way. Really? She broke her ankle and had to drop out. Oh, there's a little mm -hmm. first fun fact early in the pod. Mm -hmm. Less than 10 minutes into the pod. First fun heck. <laughs> I like that one. I was thinking either the one girl from, or the young woman from Ferris Bueller. I forget right. her name. Also in Legend with Tom Cruise. And that oh, was pretty yes. much it. Uh, yeah, that would be a good one. Criminally underrated. And also, oh my gosh, I can't think of her name. From, oh, this is blasphemy because she was like one of my first crushes. From Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, Elizabeth Shue. That's Elizabeth a good Shue. Pick, good grief. Yeah, who's just yeah, in The Boys on uh, yeah, Amazon. That's a good pick. She, she looks good for her age, too. She does. She is, she is barely aged. <laughs> right. I know. It was, it was good seeing her in there, even though I hated to see her go like that. But yeah, we don't want to oh, spoil well. anything. Yep. All right. So this is a fun week. Uh, it is indeed. It's so much to get to, and I was trying to think of like kind of like a way to get into these, but let's just come right out with it. These are essentially the first two superhero films, unless I'm wrong here, to prove they could be box office successes. So this is like the these are like the magic and bird almost in the '80s that kind of gave way to the you could say the Jordan, which was you know the Iron Mans and the the Captain Americas which came later on in, the, in uh, the next millennium. What's your, what's your take on these kind of two first big films in the superhero genre? I would almost liken them more to Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain in that sense, if you're going to NBA situation. Okay. Yeah. I mean, aside from, you know, the Batman 66 movie we got that was, you know, kind of representative representative of the, the cartoon or the, um, the campy television show at the time, you know, a lot of the, the superhero stuff was, put to serials and you know some 
uh, on before films or, you know, we had obviously the George Reeves Superman from the 1950s. So there wasn't a lot. Um, but, you know, the 70s really changed the game uh, when it comes to film in a lot of different ways. You know, they had all the Mavericks, you know, you had your Coppola's, you had your um, Scorsese's, you had your Steven Spielberg's, Richard Donner's in, in that case at that things started just really shift, you know, suddenly the blockbuster became a huge deal. Um, and yeah, those were those two pillars, you know, we have Superman and then honestly, we don't, except for Superman two, three, and four, we don't really get another superhero movies to speak of until Batman comes out in 89. Uh, despite the fact that there was, had been plans and development for, for years for a Batman film, Jack Nicholson was wanted to play Joker all the way as far back as 1980. Oh, okay. Um, These, uh, you know, yeah, these are the two foundations. These are the two pillars. Um, Without them, we don't have a modern day MCU. We don't have a modern day DCEU. But I think it really proved and tapped into the market that, hey, it wasn't just kids who wanted to watch these films, it was adults too. Um, And obviously, they're the ones that were shelling out the bucks. Both of these movies were huge successes at the box office. Um, And yeah. And I, I would I don't think it's an understatement to say that these two films are formative in terms of my own movie going experience and, and how I developed as a fan of, um, you know, not just the genre, but also just film in general. Did you grow up a, um, a comic book guy like a DC comics? Um, I did like some comics, but I was never one who really collected them not much. Right. Um, I did. I did collect Batman uh, briefly in the 90s for about a year. Um, but I because I'm of the movie? Guy. No, just because I got interested in Batman, but I, I kind of fell off with that. I've I've always been a fan of of the character Batman more than any other superhero. Ditto. Um, and I'm I'm actually more into a lot of the kind of the graphic novels um, themselves. You know, anybody who I tell you right now who has never read um, the Dark Knight Returns by uh, Frank Miller really needs to get on that. Um, because just read that in the last couple of years, loved it. It's excellent. I, mean, I got into really a graphic excellent. novel kick. I did that one. I did uh, the watch. It was right after the Watchmen. I read the Watchmen. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then I Googled like, you know, best graphic novels or must reads or whatever. And that was, always, that was, always, those are like one and two, it seems. That's the one Batman ab- adaptation I'd love to see in live action at some point. Cause it's really, if you ever read it, it's really is timeless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I was never really super into collecting comic books, but I do own some graphic novels. So, you know, I love the Batman animated series, though. That was great with uh, with your buddy Mark Hamill. Yes, and I love the the noir, like city, urban, darkness vibe that that cartoon really had. They did a really good job of kind of taking really like kind of like the Batman film and the comic and running with it. Yeah, I mean, this was I mean, its own animal. Batman, yeah, without the Batman movie, there is no Batman. You know, the animated series, and and Alan, I believe, was first. Uh, was the guy who did um, uh, the set design, or Anton first, excuse me, and uh, Tim Burton had actually wanted to use him for Beetlejuice because he saw this great movie uh, from Neil Jordan called The Company of Wolves, but couldn't get him to do it, so he ended up having him come for Batman, and they wanted to have this kind of eclectic, dark, gritty, um, 
you know, kind of almost everything conceptually, spiritually, everything was all kind of bound together. There's almost like this miserableness to to Gotham to come across. And it really does come across in that kind of like the gargoyles and the darkness and the dankness. It's almost it's a huge contrast to the metropolis that we see in Richard Donner's film, which is very much, a, you know, a sit in for New York City. And it, it, most of it was filmed in New York City. But this is its own entity, you know, the, the the Gotham City we got in Tim Burton's Batman. And it's so funny to me that this the, – the, the what you get in Batman contrasts so much to what people's expectations were going in this. Because before this, all Tim Burton had really done is Beetlejuice and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And Michael Keaton, for the most part, was known for more for comedy films. So, so many fans out there were pissed off. They thought, this is going to be the campy – you know, 60s Batman, we don't want this, blah, blah, blah. And that was totally not what they got. This is one of the first movies where I remember actually some backstory on the film. Because this comes out in 1989. I'm nine years old. And up until around this movie, I remember pretty, I don't this is probably something we should have talked, I should have mentioned in the movie experiences, theater experiences episode pod uh, that we did a few weeks back. Um, but until this movie, you know, when you're a kid, it's like you see a movie trailer and then you go see the movie and that's pretty much it. For this one, I remember a lot of talk on like Entertainment Tonight and like People Magazine that like my aunts would have, would always bring over, should always bring over like these old issues. And I remember that was a big talker was the fact that, you know, Michael Keaton was this comedian and this is kind of like this oddball, you know, curveball of a choice for him. And would this work? I thought... I thought Keaton was exceptional. I mean, it's hard to go against Christian Bale. Like, you had Bale number one. But Keaton, I mean, if you, if you only watched this and then went back and then found out that Keaton was in all these comedies before, these Mr. Moms and all this other stuff, I think you'd be kind of surprised. Well, I think there's layers to, to, to actors that we sometimes don't give appreciation for. Sure. And to, be, to be quite honest, you know, I think it's harder to do comedy than it is to do drama. It's much harder to make somebody laugh. Uh, in, in my my opinion, and but you're right, you know, he, up until that point, you know, he'd been in Mr. Mom, he'd been in Gung Ho, great little movie that nobody ever talks about. Yeah, you know, he'd been in um, uh, Night Shift, which is kind of where he got his start there. The thing that kind of put it over over the top for some people is that producer John Peters basically suggested Michael Keaton after seeing him in a, 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 again another movie that's really not talked about much, a movie called Clean and Sober. Uh, that was put out in the in the 1980s, where he was became he was basically a, a recovering addict, you know. Um, uh, who was it? Tim Burton was in agreement. He said, you know what? I, he saw the movie. He says, you know, I think he can he can do tortured. I can, think he can do dark. I think he can do reserved. And that's exactly what what he did. And I think he's again, he's not my favorite ba Batman, but he's he's great in this role. And yeah, there was like 50,000 people who, who said, you know, put a petition like, we don't want Michael Keaton. Can you imagine the, the craziness that would have happened if this was done nowadays with social media? I mean, people went batshit enough, no pun intended, when Ben Affleck got announced as, um, you know, Batman. I'm so. trying to think of the modern day equivalent of somebody like Keaton, Keaton getting that role. And the thing about Keaton, too, is he's not really known as this you know, most, you know, athletic guy. Where Affleck, no. I could see the argument there, but athletic or Affleck at least looks somewhat athletic where Keaton is kind of like, almost like the average middle-aged white guy. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like Keaton he outside looks like a of the bat suit. Yes, exactly. Keaton outside of the bat suit doesn't really look 
scream Bruce Wayne. And I mean, if you look at the comic, you know, I hate to be the that guy, comic accuracy stuff, but you know, Bruce Wayne is six foot two. He's two hundred and ten pounds. You know, he's kind of he, he's kind of ripped. He's athletic. That's not necessarily what Keaton looks like outside of the bat suit. That's not. I'm not saying he's you know he's not, you know, athletic guy or anything like that, but it's definitely different from what we saw in later iterations, even beginning as soon as with Val Kilmer, who was cut, you know, for, for Batman forever. And definitely when we got later on into Christian Bale and then into, um, you know, for sure, Ben Affleck. Um, but yeah, I think that was maybe some of the concern as well, but he, he carried that role. He was great in that role. And I think when, when you're talking about mood and creating like a comic book themed movie, it's all about mood and it's all about music. And we've always, you know, we like to give a, a hat tip and a shout out to, to those composers out there. John yes. Williams at his best here. And of course, Danny Elfman kind of underrated for that incredible Batman theme, which right out of the gate hits you over the head. These guys, this is like watching a couple masters at work. Or excuse me, this is like listening to a couple masters at work. This is like seeing... Lou Gehrig on the day he hits four home runs. I mean, the, the, that's a good analogy. This, this is the guys at the top. Any Yankee, any Yankee. Uh, but John Williams. I mean, those are the two scores that you. I mean, who cannot hear John Williams dun, 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 and not get a little pumped up? I mean, that's so in 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 a career that has just spanned so many iconic scores. You could make the argument that that's his most iconic. It's almost uh, for. It's almost oddly forgotten if you think of it. Not forgotten, but the Star Wars theme and the and like some of the uh, Indiana Jones themes, so good and so Jaws. recognizable that this one almost kind of gets like knocked off the the ledge a little bit. I mean, it's so. I mean, it's gosh, it's he just and the Elfman theme, the that gets you going. There's, they're both instantly iconic. They're both instantly recognizable. Uh, both guys at the top of their game. Um, you know, I can't, I can't say enough. It, you know, Danny Elfman is, is in some ways, doesn't even nearly get the, enough credit that he deserves as being such a great composer over the last, you know, 30 plus years or so. And an amazing singer too. I didn't realize till oh. very recently that he sings the part of Jack Skellington in the Nightmare Before Christmas movies. Come I mean, on. That's him singing. Yeah. So. But yeah, there's not these. I don't think these movies are the same movies without the scores in them, but especially Superman for sure. A quick uh, Rochester connection that I'm going to forget about with Batman and Keaton. You've probably heard this one. I always find it fascinating. Uh, Michael Keaton, his brother, uh, lives in Rochester. I believe what? his name is Bob. So Michael Keaton's real name is Michael Douglas, but he changed it because Bobby obviously reasons. there was already a Michael Douglas. Uh, but yeah, his brother. Uh, Bob Keaton, or excuse me, Bob Douglas, I guess his family has lived in Pittsburgh for years. A lot of the local media, and when I was in local media, we had reported on it a couple times. Um, a lot of us try to, you know, you try to get the local connection, and Michael Keaton was in town to get an award at the uh, Eastman Theater some years back, and I think yep. we tried to reach out to, uh, uh, to his brother, but yeah, a small little Rochester, New York connection, which, uh, which uh, we always find interesting. Look, we're going we're gonna to jump, be jumping that. around a lot here. Yeah, so, we are. Uh, we'll do about. a little touch and go and then kind of circle back, I think. Let's talk For about... our podcast, like I said. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about this. Is, these are the second movies. Who would have thought we'd get to two Jack Palance movies or two yes! Terrence Stamp movies before, like, yes! two Schwarzenegger movies? What the heck? What were we <laughs> thinking, man? And also, who's the, what's his name who plays Bob? 
uh joker's right hand man oh yeah conan uh um, the destroyer yeah that's uh oh shoot it's like a woman's name isn't it like kelly i I forget what his uh, name he's only been in like a few um, memorable movies and that's tracy walter tracy walter tracy okay so it's kind of close (laughs) yeah he's jack nicholson's very very close friend and he's one of the reasons that he was in batman was because of him oh okay i like that Hey, let's talk about Palance here. We're going to get to Nicholson. Okay. But a quick little something about Palance. I, that run in the 80s is really, is really fantastic. Like, this is a guy who's pretty much made his name, I believe, from, like, Westerns back in the day. Movies like yep. Shane. And he's just got that kind of, kind of face, um, which is, you know, mm-hmm. instantly recognizable. But he plays a good kind of setup bad guy in this before Nicholson takes over. What were your thoughts on the rewatch, checking out uh, Palance do his thing? You know, the thing about Jack Palance is I like him, but he's he he's one of those guys, he's a movie star, not necessarily an actor, and he's he's got that <laughs> Jack Palance charisma. But he, he was great at, um, you know, the, playing Carl Grissom. Uh, yeah, Carl Grissom. And Jack, to, you're my number one yeah, guy. You know, that, that he's, it's almost like, I don't say there's overacting, but even the way he starts, like, let's say this son of a bitch. You know, it's like, it's almost like a Pacino-esque type thing. Yeah, everything um, he says is, him, is a little ridiculous. Yeah, but he, he seems much more obviously in control than, than Jack was in this, for sure. Um, can we talk about Jack Nicholson playing a guy named Jack? <laughs> which was always a little weird, right? And wasn't that not his name in yeah. the comic? Like, Jack, was it Jack Napier? Jack Napier is uh, is in the movie for yeah in the movie was created for the movie. Um, they basically kind of um, delved into the the Red Hood storyline from the comics of, of of how the Joker came to be. There's a you know the thing about the Joker is there's no one set origin story for him. It's kind of a mystery wrapped in a ribble inside of an enigma. Adds one to of his uh, legend. Well, Yes, one of the yes, indeed. One of the storylines is the Red Hood storyline, where basically Batman inadvertently ends up creating the Joker by dropping him to Nevada Chemicals, which was which is what they decided to go with here. <laughs> I, I really like that portion, like everything with the newscasters uh, and those smiles are just even like you know thirty years later, those goofball smiles are uh, kind of difficult to creepy to look at, but a nice touch. You're. Yeah, the newscasting, everything about that the movie Batman and, and Batman Returns as well is so damn surreal. In some ways, it feels like modern, at least modern for the times. And other times, it seems so antiquated. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just, it's just, it's bizarre. It's definitely its own lived-in reality. And but it does kind of have that comic book feel. I mean, the one of the authors who or people who wrote the screenplay, Sam Ham along with uh, Warren Scarron, who wrote Batman. Um, Sam was definitely much a, a uh, comic book fan. Tim Burton was not. Um, and, and has actually said a couple times publicly that he doesn't like comics, which is kind of odd. Look at If you ever want a funny thing, look up the feud between him and Kevin Smith that went on. But despite that, I think he brought a nice, unique vision to it. And I think he liked some of the imagery and things that were... Um, that are about the comics because Batman is such a great psychological character to examine in the first place. He's such a tortured soul. I mean, this, his whole career is defined by trauma, you know, early, early childhood, you know, childhood trauma. Um, and I like the fact 
that they were able to, you know, what they do in the story is this is not necessarily an origin tale. You know, all of this, you know, situation about what happened with Thomas and Martha Wayne gets told kind of in flashbacks. Um, and I always kind of, I always thought that was interesting take. I like that. I appreciated that. Not really until the end, too. Did, yeah. Did we see that flashback? I mean, that right. was like, you know, 80% into the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's jump back over to Superman. You know, we, we talked yeah. about mood and setting up, uh, I think creating the cities in these movies is always is always a key element. And I think with Batman, you have to do that more so because Gotham is so much more, uh, you know, sinister at its worst. Whereas Metropolis, it feels yeah. almost an exact replica of New York City. And they even fly by the World Trade Center's the World Trade Center, I don't know if you know, it's the Twin Towers there at one point. You see yep. the Statue of Liberty, obviously. Um, one of the cool things I like with these movies, and it's kind of like, now I feel like an old man even bringing it up, is just to be in the newsrooms of these like big city newspapers where you got the news director screaming for breaking news. I need the story. I want to get what's yeah. I want to know yeah. what he eats for breakfast. Does Stop he have me. a girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Stop the press. I love that what's type of name? stuff. What's his favorite ball club? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, th- that's that's so great. It kind of has that energy and that mood that's so that's so reflective of that time, that 70s era, you know, back when man, hey, remember newspapers, kids? No, but that was just the, the kind hey, of Hey, we're going to the ball game tonight. Fun. Yeah, yeah, we're going to the ball game. See, uh, read all about it. But the uh, that is there very much a stand in. You know, New York City is very much a stand in for Metropolis, but kind of has this bright. You know, it's a city with crime, but it's not like, it's not like you don't I'm feel to think, safe. Like, it's not corrupted and rotten like Gotham is. You know Gotham's what I like mean? New York City at its worst, which is, I mean, Gotham. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Gotham was the first time the word was used was in some book about new york city in like the 1700s i think mm. the book is actually called gotham and it gets mm. into all like the you know the boroughs and some of those gangs including the ones talked about in scorsese's gangs of new york um but yeah that's a good way to put it is gotham is just like corruption at its worst metropolis is like generally good except for a few yep. bad apples and you got Gene yeah. Hackman, who almost came across as a little dopey in this. Him and Ned Beatty, a little on the uh, parody side here. Yeah, the crime doesn't seem quite as extreme in, in Metropolis as, <laughs> no. it, as it does in Gotham. You know, people who are, you know, stealing jewels or, or going away in like a boat. And then, you know, or the one guy who's go- going up a, the side of a building and... <laughs> You know, it's like that was a nice line with those, those suction cups, or when the guy hits uh, Christopher Reeves over the Chris Reeve over the head with the thing, and he's like bad vibrations. You know, there's kind of a little bit of a, there's some nice humor thrown in. I think in sure, and that I like. It's but, wholesome. But it's wholesome. It's, it's a Americana. Good it's a good time at the theater. Um, but yeah, it's a kind of. <sighs> here's the thing. I both love and hate Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. Ditto, sir. We're in agreement with everything. Uh, he's, for what the character is written for, he is great. He is perfect for it. However, if you're talking about a uh, legit, um, good adaptation of Lex, Lex Luthor, that rich, billionaire, Machiavellian, uh, obsessed with power, wanting to, you know, be be the head honcho, control things. That is not the Lex Luthor that we have gotten in Superman 1, Superman 2, 
Superman 4, Superman Returns, or I would argue in Batman versus Superman either. The the closest thing that I think of we have gotten um, to Lex Luthor uh, for one is, is Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Yes. No. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> no. Um, is probably um, trying to think of the guy's name, but the one who played him in Michael in Shannon. Michael, oh, small. Okay. No, not Michael Shannon. Uh, Michael. It's Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, who, who ah, okay. I think it was great. But if you're talking like a pure adaptation of that specific character onto a film, I don't think we've gotten it yet. But but I mean, like Yakman's character, his big scam is real estate. Really? That's your thing? That's what you're pitting Superman against? Is and you've got the most powerful human or whatever you want to call it, creature in the universe. And that's who he's fighting against. It's almost like, yeah. a, you know, it's a letdown. It is a little bit of a letdown when you look at it from that perspective. However, there's so many other great things about Superman, the movie, that that almost kind of glazes it over. And let's be honest, Superman has a much better villain in Superman 2 yes. uh, than, than he does in the first one. Here's an odd thing, too, and I, I mentioned a little bit last pod, is Batman, a big part of my movie-going you know, history as a youngster. Uh, but Superman... Not so much. Seen it a few times. And as I was watching this, it didn't hit me until halfway through that the one that I had seen the most growing up was Superman 2. And I think I had gotten these two mixed up a little bit because at the beginning of this, we see uh, Terrence Stamp and his two cohorts getting, uh, you know, shunned uh, from Krypton. Mm -hmm. And I kept waiting for them to show up again, not realizing that, oh, they're in two. That's when they really come to the forefront. Well, there's a very... In which I also to... learned... Oh, because it was supposed to be one giant-ass movie, right? They were supposed well, to combine the, everything. Here's the thing. Production started in March of 1977, and it ran through October of 1978. The reason being that they wanted to film Superman 1 and Superman 2 back-to-back -back with the plan to release them over a couple of years. Um, so that's why a lot of the scenes... So it's about 75% of Superman 2 was shot before there became this big clusterfuck um, cra the craziness that went on between Richard Donner um, and you know the producers behind Superman that basically shut down the production on the sequel, and that's it had him being eliminated as the director from Superman Two, even though Superman Two is is very much his movie. I mean, if we're if we're being perfectly honest, but that's I think where a lot of people get confused is because that those things happen. And, you know, for years, people wanted like the Donner cut, which it, honestly, if I looked into some of it is not much different from the actual film we got. Um, but I think that's the reason that some people get that 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 so confused um, is because of those things were were shot uh, simultaneously. I want to get your thoughts on the special effects on Superman. This comes out in is it 78? 78, December 78, 78 which was supposed to come out in June for the 40th anniversary of the first comic book edition of Superman, but it had to be pushed six months. So this film, the special effects hold up to a point, but it is fun to watch because, I mean, given the time that it comes out in 78, there's only so much that technology can do. But factoring right. that in, I actually kind of enjoyed, yeah, you, there's some obvious green screening going on, um, but I liked a lot of the special effects. You talked about uh, Superman walking up the, uh, up the building. What did he say, too, to the guy? He was like, oh, did the elevator not work or something? So it was like, you had a good uh, line. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember. There's a lot of good lines. Oh, the elevator has. broken. A lot of good, like, like yeah. simple little things that Reeve just kind of sprinkles in yeah. without putting too a, much twist on it. 
Yeah, and we got to just have a minute to discuss like his actual performance in the film too, because uh, I think that's that's key. Because you talked about iconic people associated with that character, we got to get into that. But to, for your special effects question, yeah, I mean, it does seem obviously anybody who sees it now is probably you know that's never seen it before might think, oh, this is a little dated, because you can see that it's a lot of models, a lot of forced perspective situations. Uh, you know, but even that scene but, where he's running against the uh, when he's a kid, and I didn't realize that the scene where he's like a teen. Um, yes. And he's just like hauling ass. That was uh, an entertaining special effect, shall we say, the way he was kind of just running through the field. Uh, I got a kick out of that, watching that. And I don't remember that from, from previous viewings. Yeah, that was always – I thought it was a, a kind of a, a cool thing. And, um, yeah, so I thought the special effects actually held up pretty well. What's on it, What's funny is the fact that the special effects – uh, were better in the first and second one than they end up probably were in the third and definitely the fourth one because the budgets got so severely. Um, fourth one is the Richard Pryor one, right? Uh, the third one's the Richard Pryor one. So let's talk about Christopher Reeve here a little bit because I thought he was very understated, but he's got that perfect look. Supposedly he was actually trained by, forget the gentleman's name, but the guy who actually wore the Vader suit. Uh, in yes. the original Star Wars, if I'm not mistaken, he was David Prowse. Okay, there you go. Uh, thank you, sir. Yeah, he was like, I guess, too thin before, and they really needed him to bulk up. But he's got that perfect look, physique, the chin, and he never he never overdoes it, which is very, you know, it's kind of like the less is more theory, and I think it takes a lot to kind of hold back. And I really like what Christopher Reeve brings to the table here. Yeah, it's in some ways it's – it's a very restrained performance in some ways. It's just enough. You know, he's... If he's, he dials it back too much, it's almost... Too modest. Yeah, he's, and you he, can't have that. He's heroic. He really is a heroic. And the thing that's great, I think, is the fact that Clark Kent and Superman are two very distinct characters. You know, Clark Kent is very kind of much that, you know, oh, gee, sucks, nebbish type, type of dude. But, you know, also, you know, kind of likes to be a good reporter and goes on to get it. Um, get that story, you know, I'm, you know for... As a Superman, he's you know he's very heroic, stands up taller, kind of has that almost the, the deeper veritone voice, tends to you know look you in the eye, and has those. There's all these little microcosms, like these little things, these little nuances that he brings to the table. And I just think a simple best, little smile here and there. I think the best one of the best things I've ever seen him do is that part where just after he's flown Lois around, he comes back as Clark Kent. And he's like Clark Kent, but you see him take his glasses off and straighten up for a minute and see him within two seconds become Superman. There, there's that nice little ad addition there. But I think like he it's he's perfect for this role. You know, and, and like you said, he was when he first auditioned for it, he was a beanpole. He was like six he's six foot four, he was hundred and eighty eight or eighty-five pounds. He ended up getting getting up bulking up to, to two twelve. Um, and very, when this film started shooting, he was only 24 years old. I like how you say bulking up to 212. Like I would kill to get down to 230 and you're <laughs> over here like, yeah, he had, to, uh, he had to eat a lot and lift to get up to yeah. 212. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, stop that it. Must have sucked. But I think this was, it's funny to me because I think this was ended up being the right way to go in terms of casting to cast a virtual unknown. Because if you've looked at any of the history going up, to the Superman film, so many people were considered for this role. There was everybody from Who are some of the Paul big Newman, names? Sylvester Stallone. Oh, Muhammad, would not have worked. Muhammad what? Ali, uh, Dustin Hoffman. I mean, they oh my gosh, 
actually, Paul Newman was offered all three roles. Jarrell, um, uh, what is it? Lex Luthor and Superman turned them all down. The one interesting thing that I found out was that the person who was cast right before Christopher Reeve and had the part and was ready to go was Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son. But he had to drop out when his dad got stomach cancer. He says, I can't do it, guys. Wait, that's the so, guy from Young Guns, right? That's the guy from Young Guns. He yes. crops up again. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> just, there's, there's just these kind of the, these echoes that come in. Um, but I think it, it, maybe, you, you know, you, you hate to hear that, that, you know, cliche phrase. Sometimes everything happens for a reason. But I think the universe, in whatever way, shape, or form, you know, really wanted um, Christopher Reeve to play the part. Um, and even Jeff East, who played the teenage Clark Kent, you'll note, I always wondered, man, he, I always thought to myself, man, he looks a lot like uh, Christopher Reeve. Well, there's a reason for that. He spent about three, three hours a day in makeup, making him look like a younger Christopher Reeve. Um, and he also, if, you, if you'll notice on the rewatch, all of his lines are dubbed over by Christopher Reeve. That's Christopher Come Reeve. On. That's not him. And he didn't even find out about this until the film was released. Yeah, I don't, so know, if I'd, kind of, I don't know if I'd tell him either, because then it's like, would, would they try to talk a little bit different? You want him to be as authentic as possible. That's kind of like a kick in the ball. So, oh, that, hey, by the way, we're not using your voice. Yeah, that's a kick in the nuts. And and I got to say, uh, this is the, the role I associate Christopher Reeve with the most, obviously, is Superman Clark Kent. Um, and I think that's for good reason, because I'm going to be – I'm not trying to be mean by any sense of the word, but this is was basically Christopher Reeve's best wheelhouse. Because aside from this, I don't – I've never really considered him to be a very particularly good actor. Um, he's been in a couple decent films here and there uh, aside from that. Um, but this the movie is kinda, street smart gets a lot of good reviews. Yes. I've never seen it. Me neither. But I mean, if, if you've ever seen him in like village of the damned, yeah, not so hot. Not and so good. In, another one called somewhere in time, kind of a romance thing. That's just, yeah. And I think he almost, it's almost, it's almost unfortunate because I think he almost got typecast. Um, after, oh, absolutely. You know, pe people couldn't see him as anybody else other than Superman. And I think that would have happened with Mark Hamill as well. Mm -hmm. It's just so hard to see him unless you take on a role that's completely different than what you've done before. And the movie right. Street Smart, actually, I believe he's a he's a journalist who like makes up a story and yeah. he gets over his head because of that. But uh, let's talk about how I'm curious on how you processed watching these movies. For me, with Batman, I saw it more as kind of like. Okay, they've got Nicholson on board. This is a mano y mano, you know, two kind of two major characters in American fiction going at it. We got to utilize Nicholson as much as we can. With Superman, I really got a kick out of just how they introduce. I think a, a lot of the magic is how they introduce Superman to you as a viewer. How the world in the film kind of processes Superman. Um, from seeing them for the first time, they're really not sure what to make of it. You see inside yep. the newsroom. Um, to me, it's not so much Superman versus Lex as it is, here's Superman, Superman, here's America, here's the world. Um, so really, I'm kind of watching these movies in a different light. Yeah, and it's funny that you, make, you mentioned that um, because that's an excellent point to make is that Superman – and how that's presented, it's almost like a coming out party for the world for Superman. It's like, yes. hey, everybody, here's, you know, here's Superman for the world. There's not really, yes, Lex Luthor is technically, quote unquote, the villain in this, but it's, it's you know, I, it's not like that mono and mono aspect, like you said, of Batman and the Joker that we got with Tim, Tim Burton. Right. It's like showing the world 
um, revealing to the world, hey, this is Superman. How are they going to react? What do we consider about him? And I, I still laugh at that part where he turns into Superman for the first time. He comes out, that that pimp is right there. He's like, uh-huh. hey, Jack, that's a cool outfit. <laughs> right. you know, and I, I saw that. And I'm just like, oh, boy. You know, because I thought to myself, man, I don't know if that would fly so much. <laughs> A little so today, stereotypical right, there, yeah. Yeah, a little, little, little bit there. I mean, we won't get into that, but this, but still, I, your point is well taken. Uh, there's a difference. These are two very different, different tonally films, film to, films tonally, without without question. You talked about the way that we they presented it. It's so funny to me that in both these situations, the main superhero didn't get top billing. You know, like Jack Nicholson was the one who demanded top billing, billing billing as the joker and the got people who get top billing for the super for superman are um marlon brando and gene hackman um christopher it, reeve is almost like an afterthought <laughs> right because nobody knew who the heck he was at the time it no. wasn't was pacino well known at all during godfather that was like his big coming out party right yeah nobody i think knew. some of his other big hits were after like injustice for all yeah. and yep um serpico serpico you know, dog yeah. day afternoon that's the big um, one yeah you don't, yeah, that's that's true. You, nobody really knew kind of who, who who Christopher Reeve was in this case. But the so Batman one's the, interesting because if you look at the movie poster, uh, yes. it's Nicholson dot Keaton. Yep, which is how what he demanded. He's like, that's how it's got to be. It's that's amazing that that his ego is that out of control. Where like it really in that case, it really doesn't matter. Now I could see if you've got a stock cast of like six people, and maybe you want to get your you want to get your name out there a little bit more then I could see, but when it's two guys and you're going up against Keaton, I mean, is it really that big of a, it's just one of those little things that I'm sure in Hollywood is a big deal, but the average person like has never I mean, even a, thought about. It's a sign of ego. I mean, that's really all it is in that case. Um, I don't necessarily make, think that makes Jack Nicholson a bad person, but it's just, it's kind of I think he's things. evil. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Things operate a little differently in La La Land. And if we're being perfectly honest, one can make the argument that Jack Nicholson as a character of the Joker in this film overwhelms Michael Keaton, um, outshines him. Um, is, as great as Michael Keaton is in this movie, there's lots of people out there who make that argument. I don't. Yeah, I think that kind of needs to happen. I think you kind of need yeah. that. You need the hero, I think, a little bit to be a little understated. I mean, even Christian Bale is, as Bruce Wayne, he's rather boring if you think about it. Like, I don't really want to hang out with him for a beer for an hour. I mean, as a lot Bruce of that Wayne, is, yeah. Probably, I, probably not, but that's like also the cultivated pr- personality that he's decided to show gotham as a whole right um you can make the argument in that for both of those movies the original batman and the dark knight joker overwhelms is the overwhelming force in both of those films and outshines the other respective actors in, in that case and it's not necessarily a bad thing either nicholson is just a master of my dad and I always talk about this. He's a, he's a master of the small gesture. There's so many little mannerisms that he does, little things that he says, the way he says things, that to me is like the definition of a true actor. I mean, even little things like just the way where he's looking at the newspaper and he's jealous that Batman's getting the headlines, and you see yeah. him say something like, I think he says, wait till they get a load of me, and the camera kind of yeah. hangs on him and he goes, ooh. ooh. And it's just little things like that and just little like raises of the eyebrow, which happen a lot or the way he kind of, you know, holds a look a little bit longer than, than somebody else who would play that role or say that line. 
Uh, he's just every second he's on screen is just mm -hmm. like a freaking parade. I mean, he's a parade all by himself. They said that about Babe Ruth. That was the case with Nicholson here. He's captivating in any instance, whether or not he's playing Jack Napier or he's becoming the Joker. You know, even that first confrontation with Eckhart where he's like, see, you can make a good decision when you try. Or later on, even when he confronts Bruce Wayne for the first time. And, you know, that, that whole great scene where Michael Keaton's like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. You see those little gestures Jack Nicholson is making, even like the kind of squinting of the eyes, like he's trying to pay attention to the story that, that's going on here. Right. Um, you know, that's 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 the brilliance of Jack Nicholson. You know, we've I said can't. it before. You got to be a good listener to be a good actor. Like you've yes. got to show that you're engaged in some kind of back and forth. And Nichol does, Nicholson does it better than anybody. Yeah. Acting, you know, good acting sometimes is reacting, reacting what your partner is doing in the scene and in, in that moment. Ladies and gentlemen, acting coach Corey, Corey Van Kessel yeah. Cook on this fine yeah. uh, podcast. Hey, you mentioned Eckhart. We got to get into it. William, I believe his name is pronounced Hootkins. Uh, oh, so you might not know. Yeah. I don't know if Hootkins. You, Hootkins. you know what else he's been in, right? I couldn't believe yes, it when I when I Indiana noticed Indiana Jones and the Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark, and also Porkins in Star Wars. Porkins eject! I can't or whatever he says. I this resume. This resume Red Six, I believe, was the his uh, call sign for the squadron. There, I, his yep. that's such an incredible resume. It's he. It's a weird series of films, and I'd that he forgotten in, that right? when I watched this. Like when I watched it, I'm like Eckhart. I was like, I know there's some backstory to him. I gotta let me Google him. And then like the minute I put in his name, or the second I should say I put in his name, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. He's one of the uh, he's one of the dudes at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark who approaches Indy for for those out there who were wondering Government where official. in Raiders. Yeah, and then of course Porkins uh, in Star Wars, part of the uh, the rebellion. So. Yeah, he's got a resume for the ages. Kind and he was really good as Eckhart. Yes, you know, that kind of corrupt cop, uh, you know, kind of almost a symbol of that, cor the, the just the crush corruption or the festering nature almost of uh, Gotham City as a whole. Um, you know, Gotham City just doesn't seem like a nice place to be. And you know, you know not one thing I never really even noticed too much until I actually watched this film again is even the day scenes are overcast i can't think of a single scene set during the day in that movie where there was like bright sunshine out right and that's just kind of you know everything is just kind of this overwhelming gloominess and and, and darkness and, and then and the had to have been a big draw for um uh tim burton to, to kind of make this is hey look you get to you get to play around in in darkness here and use some yeah. know, shadows and smoke and hey tim you just you know tim burton unleashed pretty much in this yeah, go nuts, Tim. You know, let 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 your freak flag fly in this case, and let the darkness out as much, um, because that's a really lived-in Gotham. And if I I'll say this, I think that the Gotham we got in the Batman movies, at least the first two, Batman and Batman Returns, is much more has much more of a comic booky feel to it than say the Gotham that we got in the Christopher Nolan films, which in some ways feel like they could be actual cities. feels like but a again, real city. Yeah. You see the legal system there. and mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's and, kind of just, it's kind of like chalk it up to, Hey, they're different animals, right? They're different yeah. sports leagues. It's kind of, it's fun to compare, but at the end of the day, they're, I think they're kind of, you have to respect the art. So we got to talk a little bit about uh, Marlon Brando. In, I in thought he was awful. I was, I was, okay. they could have plugged. Scary? Yeah, they could have 
put any first of all that opening that scene is like it feels like i believe it was like 20 minutes and that actually like rewound in the whole opening just took i thought took way too long the special effects were probably the worst in any super superhero movie ever even worse than the freaking adam adam west Batman movie that they did, which which that is actually a fun watch. It's, it's actually how, a fun watch. It yeah, really it's actually is. like a comedy. I didn't realize it until I was yeah. older and I watched it. Um, special effects, I thought the first 20 minutes were just awful. Brando, it's like, okay, we got Brando on board. Let's utilize him as much as we can before he gets killed off. They could have wrapped that whole opening up in seven minutes. I thought you or I could have played his role. I was just kind of disappointed. I'd forgotten that Brando was in it, so I hit play. Oh, Brando, let's see what he's got here. Let's see what kind of uh, magic the old man still has. You know, in 1978, the magic had evaporated. Uh, you know, I think Marlon Brando <laughs> forgot he was in Superman. Um, you know, it's here's what's weird is the fact that... Um, I'm not afraid to say. Sometimes I, you can't be afraid to just go, look, he didn't really bring a whole lot to the table. I didn't get anything out of that role. And and I will say this to, to that point. I, I see where you're coming from. Um it's so funny to me that the guy is still so talented that it's it's actually still somewhat decent of a performance. It's not nearly as good as Russell Crowe in Man of Steel, which I thought was a great um, yeah. pre- presentation of Jor-El. You're right, and everything kind of does look a little bit goofy um, in terms of everybody on, on Krypton. Everybody's all dressed in white. You know, I do like the kind of house emblems that you see on people's chests. That's I like those. Cool. That was a nice but, touch. But it's, it's like, it, I mean, let's be very honest about this. The storytelling you know, was weak. As as great as Marlon Brando is as an actor, he was there for a paycheck. Yeah, he was there. He, he was there. He got paid three point seven million dollars for twelve days of work, plus uh, some extra points on the back end, which ended up being uh, up to nineteen million dollars that he got. Um, he ended up suing um, the producers, saying that for fifty million dollars, said saying that he was owed that money, which led to his scenes being cut from Superman two um, on set. He refused to learn his lines, so there had to be cue cards all over the place for that. Um, he so also, see, now I don't feel bad ripping him a new one. A no, I mean, he, even even Christopher Reeve came out and said, you know, it was not, it, it wasn't a good experience in that situation. Even Christopher Reeve come, picked him up and flew him into a volcano. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but the other thing to, to me that was was kind of uh, crazy, it, I don't know if this is just. Marlon Brando not taking it seriously or being an asshole or just being whatever. He actually suggested at one point that – and I I shit you not. This is not a joke. This is not a lie. That Jarrell should appear to Superman as either a green bagel or a green suitcase, like a talking bagel or a talking green suitcase. Come on. And, and I am you must have been hopped you. up on something. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But, I mean, he's Come even had experience. He'd actually stated in further uh, further on that the reason that he took this rule mo- part was to make money so that he could fund a Roots-like uh, miniseries about the Native American experience um, in the United States, which I don't even ever think ended up getting made. Uh, but, I like his heart yeah. on that one. I like his heart. With yeah. I like, I like the motive there. But, yeah, I think it's this just a matter of sometimes guys, sometimes actors, actresses, they're just not great in everything. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this before where I think sometimes it's the actor's fault. Other times it's the director's. You can have them redo a scene. And, uh, you know, I think good directors can bring the best out of certain actors. And, yeah, Brando was uh, just a major letdown uh, for me. But other than that, I thought I, I really enjoyed the acting mm-hmm. all around. 
from all the different types of character actors in Batman and uh, Superman. Billy D. Williams, the ultimate, kind of the ultimate optimist in uh, yeah. in Batman, and uh, the gentleman who played Jim Gordon, kind of, you know, it's weird how Gordon is such a integral character in the Christopher Nolan saga, mm-hmm. but just kind of and in the comic book. Yeah, and then in this, you're just kind of, it's like, eh, it could have had him, could have got rid of him. But other than, but yeah, that, my point is, I guess, other than Brando, uh, I really liked what everyone brought to the table. Yeah, you know, Pat Hingo, who played Commissioner Gordon, he's kind of, a, I mean, a, a nothing character. They really just didn't dis- dis- decide to develop him. I mean, yeah. that, that was, a choice, you know, a choice by Tim Burton. You know, it is what it is. You know, really and I got no problem with that. that. I don't um, think there's only so much you only got. It's a real estate thing. Do we want more yeah. time with him when we got, you know, he got Nicholson on set? I don't think so. And like you said, there's some great supporting acting um, in not just Batman, but in Superman as well. Michael Goff is, you know, makes for a great Alfred. Um, you know, Kim Vink- Basinger is a really good uh, Vicky Vale, I thought. You know, if we're looking from the, the Superman side of things. Um, Robert Wool, Arliss, huh? Robert Wool, you know, he, he gets that, that's fun in there. That's the role. I, I defined him into that role for years. I mean, that's kind of where he was, you know, him, him yeah. playing um, Alexander Knox. But, I mean, even, like, looking at Jackie Cooper is great as Perry White in Superman. That kind of, yeah. you know, you talked about at the beginning. It's like, come out and get that story. I had Moxie. I was 17 years old, and I was out there climbing mountains and getting stories. <laughs> right. You know, that was – the, the just, and even uh, – I forget. What's his name that plays um, – uh, Jack – no, what the heck is his name? Um, played Jimmy Olsen? Jimmy Olsen. Uh, Mark McClure, that's his name. I couldn't think of it. You know, he has that kind of OG golly whiz type, sure, type yeah. nature to him that, that's great. All those but type I, of characters I, really, like, flesh out these, uh, just kind of, like, add to the world. And, I mean, it just makes yeah. it a pleasurable experience when, when, they're, when they're firing on all pistons here. And what struck me, though, is, and you kind of had to mention it, was, like, to watch Billy D. Williams uh, in Batman, and I just feel such regret. Because he was supposed to be the main villain in the third Tim Burton Batman film. He originally, well, the originally reason that Tim Burton cast him as a black man is he wanted to have that white-black dichotomy aspect when he actually got the, the acid on his face and kind of became that character. He wanted to have that be an integral part of the story. You know, and then the third movie comes along. You know, I I always was so disappointed we didn't get that third film because you know we talked about that Scarecrow was supposed to be in it, and possibly Jeff Goldblum was going to be that character. Um, you know, that would have been a good casting choice. Yeah, Billy Dean was going to come back as you know as as Two Face, um, and they just couldn't agree on on you know. And not that I had any forward. Not that I had any problems with Tommy Lee Jones. He was fun in the role. I did. the um the continuity is weird. I mean, for Batman fans, if you're familiar with the comic, you're gonna remember that a lot. But if you're just like an average movie fan, I don't know if you're gonna go. Wait a minute, hold on. It was Billy D. Williams in the first one because I don't remember yeah. really doing that. I don't even remember Harvey Dent that much when I was younger. And then all of a sudden, right. when Tommy Lee Jones played him, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. But yeah, that that, that hurts the saga. Yeah, it you didn't does. like Tommy Lee though. You thought he was. Uh, uh. He was you know, I liked Batman he was Forever. A clown, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a clown. I he mean, was goofier it, it, than I, a Joker character. I like Batman Forever is okay. Batman and Robin is abysmal. Joel Schumacher, I just shit all over that franchise as far as I'm concerned. You know, and mu- mu- much props to uh, Michael Keaton because when term- Tim Burton left and they showed Keaton the script, 
and they said we'll pay you 15 million dollars to to reprise your role as batman again he told them to take take a flying leap and a rolling donut he says this script is terrible i'm not going to be in it so credits to, to keaton for that for that one the two worst aspects of those batman films are i don't know which one it was but it's the beginning with it must be Batman Forever is the final one, right? Batman Forever is the third one. That's the one with Val Kilmer. And Batman and Robin is the one with George Clooney. Okay, so it must be Batman and Robin, where at the beginning, him and Robin like pull out the skateboards, essentially, and are like surfing through the air after jumping out of a plane. That was yeah, one of the like aspects that. I just thought was completely ridiculous. I remember seeing that in the theater, and it was one of the few times I ever, I think I just threw my hands up like, oh, come on, that's yeah. just ridiculous. That's completely yeah. absurd. And then now I forgot, lost my train of thought. Oh, another one was Bane. When they showed Bane in one, of them, especially after seeing like the newer one uh, with Thomas Hardy. I just thought I, that was ridiculous. So, so here, let me t- squared. So, so let me tell you, because I'm with you on the whole Bane situation. And here's the reason why. Back at that time, I actually had started to get heavily into Batman. I was. Oh, so you, you must know, have had some pissed. of the comics, some of the comics because anybody who if you're a fan at all of comic books or even if you're not, I highly advise you go back and take a look at reading the Nightfall saga, which basically describes how, um, you know, Bane as a character was super intelligent but also super muscular and everything because he had this steroid called venom basically hunts down bruce wayne finds out who he is forces him to the point of exhaustion by breaking everybody out of arkham and then breaks his you know breaks his back and they freaking what they did in batman and robin i wanted to punch somebody through a wall because they just took that character arc and decided to just stomp all over well you know i don't recall Um, isn't he only in it for like five minutes yeah, he's like a hoodlum. He's like a like a, a science experiment. He doesn't even talk. It's so it's dumb. Yeah, if it's folks, so if dumb. you're out, if folks, I say if you're out there. Of course, we have so many listeners. YouTube, YouTube, Bane in which one was he in? Batman and Robin. Batman or ben and Forever? Robin. YouTube Batman and Robin. Ugh. YouTube that clip. It is absolutely. He's just uh, absurd. Is the only word that can that comes to my brain. To quote Charles Barkley, "Terrible." Hey man, Travis. <laughs> yeah, that was just uh, tough to watch, but, but yeah, I could see your frustration because especially when you do a deep dive a Batman and you're going balls out and then they yep. just totally like, you know, rip the hearts of the franchise like right out of there and just ruin the movie. That's those got to be even that's got to be even more frustrating to watch, but but it's, I get it's it. Extreme, it's extremely frustrating, especially Batman is my favorite superhero of all time. I'm very close to the character. I've a lot of, read a lot of Batman comics, the graphic novels, several several uh, actual novels that were written. I read the novelization of the Batman movie before I actually watched the Batman movie, um, back when that was a big deal. And a point of fact, did you? Here's a question: Did you see Batman in a theater? I did. Superman, obviously, I wasn't alive, uh, but Batman, I did. Yeah, that was. Uh, I remember being really it. hyped for it. You stuck because I begged my mom to take me. Uh, she wouldn't take. Me. Well, we all know we my history wait. of uh, me, you know, somehow finding my way into R-rated films, including mm-hmm. Goodfellas, when I was ten. Yep. Uh, Still can't get over that. Was one. this one even? I got it up on Wikipedia. Is it? It's PG thirteen, right? PG thirteen. Yeah, because there's definitely some uh, suggestiveness. For, yeah, and there's for some, like, there's, there's some curse words. There's a few there's some- shits at the beginning, I believe. There's not some. There's not as much clean, wholesome fun as as we get in, 
you know, in, with Superman the movie. One thing I can't believe you haven't touched on yet is the soundtrack for Batman. Prince. With Prince. <laughs> Love me some Prince. I know that was it was fun kind of re... Uh, you know, I listen to that soundtrack a lot, especially like on Spotify, because I don't have the album anymore. I was actually going through it today just because it just brought back like a lot of good memories. And really there's only like two... There was two main scenes where they actually are blaring two of the songs from the soundtrack. One is Party Man, which was during the museum scene. And then later on during the parade, the museum scene, that was like the first time where it's even on the rewatch going, oh, that's right. This is where mm-hmm. Prince comes in, which was super cool. And then let's broaden our minds. That, yeah, Lauren? that's awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the one guy who's just like carrying around the boom box all day. Yeah, like freaking. Right? How 80s is that, man? <laughs> I know, right? People nowadays are going to be like, is that a radio? Like, you guys didn't have a headphone? You guys didn't have headphones or whatever like that? But, um, no, that was fun listening to, uh, yeah, they almost didn't use enough. That's got to be tough, too. If you're, if you're Tim Burton, okay, you've got Danny Elfman on this freaking soundtrack. You've also got Prince. It's got to be a tough decision. And I'd be curious to, to know more about this. I didn't do the deep dive on the music in terms of when to use maybe like a Prince jam, when to use Elfman. Um, but I thought they, there was never a time when I thought, eh, I wouldn't have went that route. I really liked, uh, the music choices through this, but oh, no, this is what I was going to mention is party man. The song that the Prince song that played during the museum scene got second life recently. I want to yes. see if you remember why. Yeah. On, uh, the, the, um, the, the Chicago bulls documentary that we reviewed for. Yes. Recently. Last dance. Last I love dance. how they use that. Super yeah. cool. But yeah, so definitely uh, digging the soundtrack. And that was like right at the end of Prince's like, not to get all nerdy about Prince, but he had like, you know, obviously he's known for uh, the Purple Rain album, uh, the 1999 album. Those are like two of his like most famous. But he went on like this incredible run, which was like four or five albums where it was mm-hmm. just creativity coming out of every orif- every Prince yeah. orifice. Yeah, uh, and this was like kind of the last one. Some even say it was the album right before this one, but I thought this album was it's rocking and rolling. Check it out on Spotify, folks. Only t- second to his talent as a basketball player, according to Charlie Murphy. Um, but yeah, that's actually, I mean, there's I, I, actually truth to that. He was actually a pretty oh, good I know. player. Oh, yeah. I know. That's, that's what I've heard. I've heard that. Um, <laughs> that's pretty cool. But to me, what's what's it's so weird that this is such an odd choice. They should have worked movie. him in somehow. Come to think of yeah. it, he should have made a cameo. It's such an odd choice musically, but somehow it works. You know? Yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody thought, oh yeah, Prince will associate that with Batman. What? No, but it works. And it's funny. I don't really remember much hype about it at the time. Me neither. But yeah, that was uh, definitely fun. A fun choice. Superman, the music, all, what's his face? John Williams, of course. So yeah, all day. Not a whole lot to say there. What did you think about the ending of Batman? That whole battle, the parade, Joker pulling out that, like, six-foot-long gun. That yeah. was, uh, I'd forgotten about that little scene. Little touches like that so complement Nicholson's kind of silliness in this role. He's a malevolent, funny psychopath, right? And the, all those little things, that, that giant gun that they pull. And apparently uh, the, the Batwing is terrible at shooting bullets. And missiles <laughs> right. They can't, can't hit anything. But yet, but yet, it has, final- yet it has shears to cut, like, you know, balloon string. Yeah, somehow that it has that aspect of it. And then the whole fact that it's it, – it's, <laughs> the fact that the, the, the ending of this mo- movie culminates in a gothic church. 
you know, the yeah. cathedral that goes all the way up to the top. And then you get that great one of the to me, one of the great cinematography aspects is like with that part at the end where he or towards like Batman turns around and then there's that, you know, zoom in on his face because the cinematography by, by Roger Pratt is excellent. Um, in this film, I loved the kind of how that ended. It was kind of that mano a mano situation. One thing that it, it it's always funny it's funny to me is that people always like lost their minds when Batman versus Superman came came out, saying you know Batman doesn't kill and and this and that and the other thing. I was like, did you guys even watch Batman like the original eighty nine Batman? There's so many people he kills in this in this movie. Oh right, he right. Blew up in, he blew up all of Access Chemicals with dozens of people in the building for God's sakes. And that he freaking says, factory, like, they're shooting bullets. Like, do you guys know? Like, anything could explode at any given second. I couldn't believe the amount of like gunfire that went off in there. I know it's like, yeah, there's kind of some noxious chemicals in here. So people are using axes to like cut through like these big vats of deadly chemicals like it's no big deal yeah it's just a little right. water we'll let it out yeah it's like how bad does that vat have to be if a one swipe <laughs> for pick and an axe can can start shooting oh that's right stuff. but he, i mean he says i'm gonna kill you to to the joker um yeah. which to me is is like counteractive it's except for if you look at the very very early history of the batman comic book for the most part his rule is that batman doesn't use guns because his parents were guns down and he he doesn't really kill it some of that's kind of a little bit more loosey-goosey in in maybe the last 20 30 years with some of the comics where he kind of just lets some people die sometimes so to speak sure um, i mean there's actually an infamous there's an infamous uh comic from 15 10 15 years ago where actually bangs black canary on a rooftop while he uh burns some guys with thermite <laughs> so oh but you know, look that up yeah it's it's weird but that whole argument that batman doesn't kill i i always feel is like like to me it, is overblown uh, same thing with Superman. You know, they all people got pissed with the Man of Steel that, you know, at the end of the movie he kills Zod, and I felt like saying, "Dude, he killed Zod and Superman too." Chris Reeve did the same thing. What are you guys even talking about? Right. Um, but, I, but I'm kind of veering off topic. The end of Batman, I think, is great. Uh, that kind of, <laughs> that's the great. That's here's, a great segue, right? Here, here's uh, here's a War and Peace version of. Why why critics are wrong about other aspects yep, of other films. Oh yeah, and the ending it. of this one is uh no, it's good. We like uh we like those random avenues. That's what we do best here on the chumps. But you know, one of the things you've mentioned a lot is kind of the the iconicness of certain scenes and certain moments in movies. And I think you get that actually with both of these films. Yeah, you got it all the you, time. You, you get that with the end of Batman where it's like that music kind of swells. For really the first time in the like as a hopefulness, a swelling of Danny Elfman's um, uh, a score and Batman kind of looking up at his into the night at the Batman symbol like, you know, I'm going to be this protector of Gotham. Whereas this other time with John Williams, you see Superman kind of flying and then he has breaks that fourth wall and he looks at the camera and gives you that smile like, hey, it's going to be OK. Right. I think those, those are two really iconic endings. Uh, to to both of those films. Yeah, the way both of these were shot, where especially Batman, there's so many scenes. I love the way that they that they shot Batman pretty much every time. Uh, he's coming out of the shadows. Even the first time you see Batman, where he's overlooking um, those two thugs in the alley who just got yep. you know who just got done robbing that family, which is very yep. similar to who weren't uh, at all on drugs, right? <laughs> oh my God, those freaking guys! What were they on? Talk about cracked out. Whew. Off, yeah. 
Yeah, that was uh, their eyes and everything. Like, they're on cocaine. It's mo- it's cocaine and meth together. <laughs> but you see that shot of like Batman looking down, kind of a neat shot because you could tell it was it looked animated. Where you just yeah. see the ape and you see him like leave the edge and you know he's gonna go you know whoop some ass down there. Every right. Every time they show him from that scene on, little you know little shots of the camera tilting up and Batman looking up and uh, the sh- with the shadows where only his his eyes can be seen. Yep. I really enjoyed the cinematography cinematography for Batman. The same with Superman too, but more so with Batman because I think there's more challenges with with shadows and it's dark and you got to keep things sinister. I'd say that's the cinematography that's done by, you know, Roger Pratt in Batman makes Gotham into a character in and of itself. That's not necessarily can be said for Jeffrey Unsworth's cinematography in Superman, which is good, but But that could have been any city. I mean, they could have filmed that in Buffalo. Could have been anybody it could have been any, but I feel like you could have plugged in any cinematographer and it would have, you know, sure. it, it was kind of flavor of the week type situation there. I didn't think it was anything necessarily special. Um, to ask, here's a question I want to ask you, because maybe you can, I think it maybe will be on the same wavelength. Can you think of anything in both films that you thought on the rewatch, this is stupid. I wish they would have cut this out or I wish they would have shortened this or this doesn't make any sense. Cause I can think of one right off the bat for Superman, not necessarily for Batman, but I want to get your take on that first. Superman, definitely the, the opening. I figure they could have cut that in half, maybe by two thirds. I've already voiced my displeasure about that whole thing with Brando. Yep. So you could get, get that out of there. A couple scenes here or there where it was just, they weren't super compelling. Some of the scenes with, uh, as good as Gene Hackman was, I just don't think that character, the way he played it, was just super compelling to me. Um, it was interesting, but that's about it. With Batman, I would have kept, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, I'm going through in my mind. I really liked everything about Batman. You know, when you think back and you reflect on it, it's, it's, it's odd that in the comic, Batman and Joker have been going at it for decades. And then in this movie, it's like, all right, they got an hour and a half and then boom, that's it. You know, it's almost kind of like, oh man, all those years, what's Batman going to do for the next like 10 years? Uh, But yeah, no, Batman, I keep unless you're going to pull something out and Superman, there's a lot of, I would do a lot of trimming here and there and then knock out that first 20 minutes. I, okay. So I've got, I might've forgotten about something. I'm actually okay with the Krypton scenes. Um, I actually, I, I kind of like them. They do, they don't look great. I mean, they don't really hold up too well, um, you know, or the fact that the place looks, where is the, where's the plants? How are these people breathing? I mean, there's ice ev- or looks like just crystals everywhere, but you know, I won't get into that. The one thing about Superman that always, I thought was stupid, even when I was a kid, is that part where he's flying with Lois Lane and she's, she's like, has that voiceover in her head. Like, oh, that's right. Here I am flying with a god. I look like a fool. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing. Absolutely. It sounds so freaking dumb. Um, You're right. In terms of Batman, there's nothing, there's not a single scene that I think I would have been like, eh, they could have axed that or they should have 86 that. The one thing I think they maybe would should have dialed down on a little bit or at least told her to dial down a little bit is Kim Basinger screaming. There's a couple times that yeah, it appro- yeah. approaches a little too much of Willie from uh, Temple of Doom levels. Yes. Um, but it's so funny that you have to mention that because there's even though I can pick things out of Superman that I would have cut, would have trimmed that I thought were stupid that could have gone, 
there's not really a single scene in Batman that I'm just like, I would 86 that, or this is a bad scene, or this is fluff, this has nothing. All of it just comes together to form a very cool All these little ingredients. Film. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, with Basinger, I kind of, I've always said, and I hate to just, you know, I hate to be so black or white about this, but, you know, where it's like, oh, they're either they're movie stars or they're actors. You know, you can't, you can be one or the other. So as you can be both. I think Basinger's always been, for me, a great movie star, but not necessarily a great actress. Um, yeah. I thought she was absolutely stunning, stunningly beautiful in this. And oh, there were yes. times where I actually thought she was, she was extremely charming. But in terms of the screaming, I also chalked that up to kind of like the, not to get all feminist on everybody, but there is a sense of, you know, not every woman is a woman in distress in these movies. And sometimes yeah. they do do that. That might have been the case here. But yeah, super, the I, Superman scene with Margot Kidder in the voiceover, that's a good call. I do remember watching it going, yeah, this is odd. I wonder if it was a case of they're in the editing room. Maybe they felt it was too long. Because it was like, how long was that scene where they're flying around? Eight it minutes, seemed like it was minutes. like, yeah, which a while. I could, maybe they felt it was, sometimes you just got to let it breathe, as they say, right? Yeah. Sometimes you don't need to, you know, the show don't tell. Might have been just a case of that. Hey, there's too much time with them not talking. There's really not a whole much you can say when you're flying, right? That's like, a good point. Wow. Wow. Look at that. Wow. Uh, wow. Like, what else can you I'm talk like about? You flying know? over here. <laughs> yeah. You know. Hey, Lady Liberty. Yeah. How That's one thing that? that we needed to bring back is, all right, you're Christopher. Give me Christopher <laughs> walking. Give me Christopher Walken being Joker. I, I am a mind to make some mookie. <laughs> you remember that line? Makes no sense at all. I'm, I'm about to get a new girlfriend, Bob. I'm of a mind to make some mookie. What the freak does that even mean? Like it I makes like how no he's sense. poetic though in this. I actually was had to watch it because I wanted, I never really understood what that scene says. So I actually had the, the subtitles on to see that. Oh yeah, what does he like, say? It's that's, I've, I've a mind to make some Mookie and it makes no sense. I even like looked up what Mookie could possibly mean. And all I got was like, you know, Mookie Blaylock and <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's this, the guy that plays for the Red Sox and, and whatnot. Oh, Mookie yeah, Betts. Mookie Betts. That's, that's what I was thinking of. So it's, that you make a good the thing that you made a great point on is that is that i think maybe that's a one knock i would see in this in batman is that the character vicky vicky vale seems a little two-dimensional sometimes seems like that damsel in distress they try to have her give her some edge because she's like oh she's been in the court to multis you know shooting you know um you know for you know uh you know in dangerous areas. And then when she breaks out the freaking it's camera, almost... it's like a typical 35 millimeter camera, not to get all nerdy about that too. But really you got no lens? Like, yeah. come on. I mean, we're from the land of Kodak here. Like you got to, if you're the, you're this world-class photographer, give me a little something that's bigger than a Game Boy if you're out shooting street photography. She's almost too glamorous and beautiful to be the character that she is in this movie it's not exactly believable like I'll, I'll say this much i think sean young would have made a much more believable vicky vale in terms of the actual character who has that particular profession than say what we got with kim basinger not that i don't you know i mean she's somewhat charming and she's good in this but she's not nearly the female empowered character badass bitch that we get with Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. That's oh, weird. she was incredible. That's right. I forgot that she was even in that second one. And Pee Wee Herman and uh, his uh, love interest in his Big dad. Adventure yes. are uh, the parents, which I always thought was kind of neat. 
The Cobblepots. Yes. The uh, that's what was her name in uh, Big Adventure or not Big Adventure? Yeah, Big Adventure. The one he was, the one he was, uh, the one he met, and that Bugatti? big Bluto guy. Oh, Simone. Do you remember Simone, there was like Simone? Yeah. Yeah, that was Simone and Pee Wee as the parents of uh, Penguin in Batman Returns. That's right. Which that's I just thought right. that was kind of neat that he brought uh, both of those both of those two back. I didn't even know that Tim Burton did Pee Wee's Big Adventure until like at some point in my teens, like late teens. I remember it was like this big revelation for me because Big Adventure is always one of my favorite movies. Great movie. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, that totally is a Tim Burton movie, and it was his first. It exists to, you know, remind the world that there was, in fact, at one time, Mr. T cereal. <laughs> Which, by the way, is, is bizarre that he doesn't even finish it. He eats, like, two spoonfuls. Have you ever had Mr. Like T cereal, done. though? I can't really <laughs> Isn't blame it. is it just like Captain Crunch? Wasn't it's, it just like Captain I'd Crunch? I don't remember. The worst of those, like, 80s trendy um, cereals, I thought was god-awful, was the Swedish chef's cereal. It was called Crunchy Stars. From the Swedish chefs from from Muppet Show. I begged my mom for a box of it, and she got it. And oh my god, this stuff tasted like refried dirt balls. I mean, it was just <laughs> so terrible. Ah, uh, what is your favorite cereal of all time? I gotta go with Cinnamon Toast Crunch or maybe Cocoa Puffs. I'm going Captain Crunch. I like Golden Grams. I like O's. That cereal O's. O's Cracklin' Oat Bran is great. Underrated, Underrated. cereal. Delicious. I almost said delirious. (laughs) What's underrated about these films? Is there something that people don't talk about enough when they, like, what are some underrated aspects of of the legacy of these two films? Um, I think what's sometimes underrated for Superman is the performance of Glenn Ford as Pa Kent. Um, I think he's only in a very few scenes, but you're able to see that kind of, wisdom that he's imparting to Clark you know he's like you know I you know there's one thing that I know and and that is that you know you are here for a reason or even when he has a conversation with them he says you know is it showing off when a bird flies he's just doing what he does he's like no you know it's not showing off and he's like you know someday you're going to be be able to reveal yourself to the world and you're here for a reason I don't know what that reason is um, but you, you get that sense of there's that strong moral fiber uh, that's that's imparted from father to son in this case. And, you know, what we really don't talk about too much. I mean, and it's very overt, especially with this with the Superman mythos and especially in this film, is that this is very much a, um, you know, a metaphor for the for for Christ, you know, for the whole the Christ story. You know, the idea of Jarrell, God, the son sending, you know, his his only son to uh uh you know to earth to you know it's like for the it is because their their capacity for good that i have sent them to you you know they can be a great people kalal if you can just lead them you know there's a lot of i mean the fact that he he freaking casts the devil out of heaven when he he when when he banishes zod to the phantom zone for crying out loud you know there's very much that 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 comparison uh going on there of that person, you know, because I mean, for lack of a better term, Superman as a character is godlike, but he looks human. Um, that is very much at you know, kind of at at the heart of this this movie, and something that sometimes doesn't get talked up or played up um, 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 as much anymore. Kind of gets pushed to the side. But I think Glenn Ford is great in this movie um, when it comes to that um, from the from the Superman side of things. From the Batman side of things, I you know, I honestly think for me, uh, what's 
not doesn't get nearly enough run, I think, as Michael Goff's performance as Alfred, because he doesn't necessarily serve so much as, say, a father figure as almost Bruce Wayne's conscience and Batman's conscience. And to remind him that there is a life outside of you fighting crime that, you know, he's like, if, if you know, that it, it's OK to let somebody in to open yourself up to, to love, to have, you know, have different you know facets of your life. Because um, you almost get the impression it's like you can't I, I don't want to spend the rest of my years, like he says, grieving for past friends or their sons, you know, basically trying to tell him they say as much as this trauma has defined you and as much as you've taken this and turned it a negative into a positive fight crime, you're alive and they're dead. And you can't act like you're dead because you're still alive. You're still a human being. You still need to experience all that aspect. Um, I think so one I of the, those, two, those things get to, those are the two things that I think are underrated in both these. And I think his performance as Alfred is, is going to be overlooked, you know, in movie history kind of going forward. And really, I think this Batman, this film will be kind of almost a footnote because of how good the Christopher Nolan saga was. I think that's one of the big legacies of this is it was like this, not flash in the pan, but, oh yeah, I remember the time when Michael Keaton played Batman and Nicholson was, you know, a little over the top as Joker. Yeah, that was wild. And then it was wild times. Yeah, I really think that's going to be, man. I hope people don't forget about this film. Because it was yeah. so much fun. And the Nolan, I just love the whole, the, the cradle to grave version that Nolan tells. And, you know, I love what Michael Caine brings to the table uh, for Alfred. And they really flesh him out a lot about how much he loves the family and, you know, the Wayne legacy. So, yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. going to, I think this movie's going to suffer as time goes on. Unless, you know, I think you'll see maybe a little surge when, you know, sadly, but this is how, you know, pop culture works. When someone like Nicholson dies, you know, yeah. all of a sudden we, we kind of, we always recap their, their greatest hits. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be one of the sad legacies of this movie is that it's just going to be overlooked because of, of Nolan's masterpiece. Yeah. And I, I never really thought about that way. I think it's a possibility. Um, you know, I think it does get overlooked. I think these two films get overlooked now just because of what we have in this, in this generation. You know, we and the have technology. The we have the DCEU. Um, you know, we have that 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 situation. It's always like, what have you done for me lately? What's what's today? What's the next big thing? So those things kind of get, um, you know, maybe pushed to the side a little bit and a little bit forgotten about. And the um, something that I grapple with is we talked about it before. We talk about a lot on this podcast is the whole rewatchable aspect. Whereas, you know, when we were growing up, it's you know, it's on TBS or it's on HBO and you can catch it a couple times. Now, if people don't physically press play in a DVD or a movie on their Netflix account, like they're not going to, you know, revisit some of these films unless it's, you know, in their top 10. I agree. You know, that's, that, that's the sad notion of it is that we kind of are almost uh, spoiled by the instantness of things. You know, I don't, yeah. we don't mean to be 40 year old guys railing against the system here, but please kids, if you're young and you've never seen these movies, please go see them, please go buy them, please go get them on digital, whatever. They're great films. Um, and I still think that I still think they're great, even after 30 plus years um, for Batman and, and 40 plus for uh, Superman. Um, I still think the themes and everything, the performances still hold up very, very well. Final thoughts on these two classics, modern classics, I should say. 
I'm just grateful that they existed. Again, I don't think that we get the MCU, we don't get the DCU, we don't get the Nolan films, we don't get Wonder Woman, we don't get all this, you know, the 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 um, CW television shows, Agents of Shield, all that stuff. I don't think any of that happens without Batman and without these the Superman. Um, and I think these are both movies that will define the main character's legacy uh, long after they've, you know passed from this world obviously christopher reeve died several years ago but you know on that epitaph for him and for michael keaton you know it'll come away with this they played batman they played superman um and that's not a bad legacy to have um you know they're both they're they're dynamic roles i just i think they're still greatly rewatchable the scores will ever be delved in into my mind especially uh the superman theme for sure i just i'm just happy that they exist not necessarily happy that uh you know, Superman three, four, or Batman and Robin exist, <laughs> but I'm at least happy that Superman uh, one, two, and Batman and Batman Returns exist. Episode uh, sixteen next week. Tell uh, tell our fine listeners what we got cooking. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, a little bit of a murder mystery. A little bit, yeah. Will. So next week is a little bit of a murder mystery. Uh, we are going to be delving into the Ryan Johnson film from last year that uh, got him nominated for Best uh, Screenplay Award for Best Original Screenplay, made a heck of a lot of money, uh, very well-reviewed, um, a whodunit called Knives Out. Have you seen it yet? They, I have not seen it yet. I know that you have. I actually blind-bought it on um, Voodoo, so I will be catching that sometime this week. Uh, they've already are already actively developing a, a sequel. Um, I can't wait to get your two cents on this. Which everybody tells me this this film is great, so I can't you know I really can't wait to to see it. My wife and I just watched it. We actually had some time today. We watched it. Uh, oh, really? I was going to wait because I, I like to watch it a little bit closer to the pod, so I don't forget stuff. Yep. I might actually watch it again just because the performances are so much fun, and there's so many little nuances. Uh, that Mr. Johnson, you know, pulls out of his rectum here. Uh, you're going to have a riot watching this. Anybody that shits on Ryan, he took so much crap for Last Jedi. But I mm -hmm. think regardless of what you think, and you and I both enjoyed that. He, if, if you didn't like that, he totally redeems himself here. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. One thing I probably will say about that a little little thing to warn our, our listeners for next week is that this is going to be, it'll be very spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen it, you may not want to listen to the pod until after that's done because obviously it is a whodunit. It is a murder mystery. And some of the beauty of that is obviously not knowing who the killer is going into um, the film. So there you have it. Episode 15 of Movie Chump, Superman and Batman. Uh, that's Corey Cook. I'm Luke Mayo. Signing off from the People's Republic of Irondequoit. And remember, kids, like always, all movies are subjective. Your mileage may vary. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.